Hi, and welcome to the Mountain Collective Podcast. Rafael Pages, thank you for uh, joining me today. I'm uh, very happy to have you uh, on the podcast. Hi, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Yes, um, you are the founder, co-founder of uh, Volograms. I, uh, I really like uh, what you do, what you guys are doing there. We've been talking a little bit before about like how big the company is and how long and what kind of you know challenges you've uh, you've uh, you've been through the last uh, few years and. Um, but actually, I would love to take it a little bit back to to your background and maybe your childhood. Like, how were you as a as a small Raphael child? <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'll tell you a little bit. Um, so I'm 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 actually well, Polygrams is an Irish company. So I, I'm right now in in Dublin, in Ireland. Uh, but as you can probably take tell by my accent, I'm I'm not Irish. <laughs> um, I'm from Spain. I come from the west of Spain, a small town called Merida, which is uh, right next to the border with Portugal. Um, so it's uh, that's where I was born and where I grew up until I went to uh, to Madrid uh, to study the engineering degree. So yeah, when I was a kid, I was um, I was I would say a pretty normal kid. I was a little bit of a nerd, you know. I like video games and I like computers, so I always knew that I was going to be doing engineering. Uh, but I also liked sports, and I used to play basketball. I'm more or less tall, I'm like almost 190, and uh, and and also played tennis and other sports. So I was always, uh, you know, uh, exercising, but at the same time, you know, obsessed by computers, by the internet, which was, uh, you know, the brand new thing, and and video games. So um, for to me, it was almost like an easy decision uh, to go and study engineering. Um, so I moved to Madrid when I was 18 to study. Um, telecommunications engineering, uh, which is a degree that I think you, you guys don't have in other countries, um, but it's it's um, it's a mix between electrical engineering and computer science. Um, in a, and now it has changed, but when I started it, it was a five-year degree. So when you finish, you almost were like kind of like at the master level. So it, it would be like doing an integrated bachelor and, and master all together. And uh, and yeah, that that's basically it uh, about me. So. Um, I did. Uh, I also liked, uh, you know, traveling and, and going to other places. So I, I went on an Erasmus to um, an Erasmus degree in in Denmark. So I spent one year in Denmark, and and then when I was doing my PhD, I also lived for a few months in in the south of Germany, in the west southwest of Germany, in in Aachen, uh, next to the, uh, the Netherlands. I was saying you earlier, and but yeah, that's more or less my my background. Well, I forgot to say that I, I did a PhD in, uh, after finishing my degree and, and uh, stayed in research and in the field of 3D reconstruction. And, and yeah, that's what brought me here, where I am right now. Super interesting, man. So, so traveling um, is also... I always like to, to, to ask uh, my guests about the traveling. And apparently, like a lot, of, um, a lot of guests are traveling a lot to build their own personality, to build their own, you know, uh, environment, to person who they are today how much of an influence uh, does or did uh, those, tra- those travels for you yeah they're huge i would say um i think i've been very lucky first because my parents really liked the uh, traveling so when i was a kid we were just uh, for instance have uh, we were spending every summer in a different place in spain so i know spain really well uh, but we've also traveled to other countries and and then when i was in college i uh, 
my group of friends also like traveling a lot. Uh, I was also lucky because it was kind of the this moment when uh, Ryanair, you know, the Irish uh, airline was incredibly cheap and they were offering flights for like one euro and things like yeah. that. Uh, so we, we took advantage of those a lot and, and ended up traveling all around Europe uh, back then. Uh, but yeah, I've also, um, I think traveling is one of the, the things that uh, a lot of people in my generation really like. And, and as you were saying, it has forged the are the way we think and, and open our minds right um, mm -hmm. i think it has a, re a really big importance because uh, now i give a lot of a, a, a it made us uh, or it made me um, I, I guess in general all my generation a little bit more tolerant and, and made us realize that at the end of the day everybody's looking for the same things uh, we're looking to have fun and build a family mm -hmm. and and, and uh, you know and yeah have more relationships have more have more friends <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so um yeah and, uh, and i've been doing a lot of traveling uh, for from in different areas so uh, just for instance right before the pandemic started uh, i was in my honeymoon and we we traveled throughout uh, latin america but i've uh, mm -hmm. been a couple of times to the southwest uh, southeast uh, asia and uh, been I've done a couple road trips in the, in the us and in canada so yeah traveling is great <laughs> yeah i just uh, i just googled like while you were talking i tried to see like when was the first first uh, flight ever and apparently it's in 1903 so oh, yeah. so basically if i understand it correctly we are you know not so long have been flying and traveling you know it's only like a, a decade or like, what is it like a hundred years ago 120 years ago that's, uh, yeah, that's totally one generation and, yeah totally and and one thing that i always we always take for granted is exactly traveling and i think that's why uh, this year has been so hard for some mm. of us right like uh, we suddenly we couldn't travel anywhere uh, mm -hmm. i couldn't even travel home um, so, um, and if you think our parents or our grandparents couldn't uh, fly as cheap and as Ever. easily as we can nowadays, yeah. so it's a uh, um, so just 50 years ago there was a war, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, all over the place, and and uh, and now we take for granted that we are living in this nice period of time where you can almost you can travel almost anywhere, and 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 it's affordable to travel even to go to the other side of the world, say, I don't know, Australia or New Zealand, right? I mean, it is expensive, but it's not what it used to be. It's something that uh, a lot of people can afford. Um, and I think that it's great that uh, we got to a, a place where we take it for granted. But now when they have taken it away from us, uh, it's it's hard, right? <laughs> yeah, 100% for maybe for the future people that are listening to this podcast, we're talking about COVID. <laughs> COVID-19 yeah, hopefully totally. hope, hopefully it's it's gone this year <laughs> um, yeah maybe in the future they were listening to this and they would say they were flying to the yeah. place they were not teleporting <laughs> no, exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah what do you think about that like, what do you think about that? well I mean we can we can take a turn in um, in in that in a bit however I would love to go really into your um, uh, founding your company because that's that's what I really wanted to talk about with you um, your company Volo, uh, Volograms. How, wh why? <laughs> What's the reason behind yeah. it? I'm very curious to know. Yeah, that's uh, I guess that every entrepreneur has a, a different story, you know, that I don't think there's a common thing here uh, for, for a lot of people. In me in particular, I, I don't consider myself like a, let's say a serial entrepreneur or anything like that, but this was the second time that I, that I started to build a company. And um, I think it's, it's all about timing. 
so it has to be the right timing for you. It's right uh, in your personal life, in your professional career, and you have to see an opportunity, right? Um, so I'll tell you uh, how Volgram started. So when well, after I finished my PhD in Madrid, um, I wanted to continue working in the same space, you know, technology, uh, computer vision, which was my area, 3D reconstruction, if it was possible. Uh, so those were the things that I had in mind. And um, I tried to search for a job in Spain and uh, I did find a couple of things, but um, none of them were really convincing. Um, I think that in Spain, one of the things that we lack is uh, investment in, in R&D, right? In, in risking it, let's say, and, and building something that it's not going to give you any, any revenues or any um, you know, uh, benefits uh, within the within the first couple of years, but in the long term. Um, so I couldn't find anything that really convinced me. And and then there was this opportunity uh, at Trinity College Dublin to, to continue doing research uh, as a postdoc researcher, right? Um, and uh, it was it was going to be a new lab founded by uh, uh, this professor that was working at Disney Research. Um, Disney in my industry is one of the, the great companies uh, because it's, uh, well, it's not only the movies and, and the Mandalorian, as you can imagine, but, but it's uh, it has a, a huge backbone of um, research, applied research, which is my favorite type of research. So, you know, you, you build stuff or you research stuff that then it's going to go directly into the movies or directly into the theme parks or into the toys. Uh, so it's it's great. So he was he was gonna this professor Alias Smallage. He was gonna fund his own uh, lab at Trinity College, and so he was hiring a lot of researchers. So I thought it was a great opportunity to continue developing my career. So I, I moved to Dublin and started working there. Um, and there is where I met my other two co-founders. So we were a little team of postdoc researchers um, without within the the whole Vsense team, and uh, and we were. Our idea initially was trying, if you remember the Matrix, right, uh, the movie when, when Neo jumps and then the camera spins around. Oh, yeah. Um, that shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's the bullet time type of shot. So uh -huh. that shot, they, re they recorded it in, in a green screen studio with around 100 cameras. Mm -hmm. So they were basically faking the movement of the camera by going to one camera after the other, like doing some view interpolation. And the result was great. I mean, I remember that I, I had that image in my in my head. And and what um, what Aliosa, what the professor Smolich wanted to do was to replicate that, but in an incredibly simpler setup. So we wanted to do that like with a few phones, you know, like uh, outdoors, <laughs> handheld phones, different types of phones, and just five or six. So we, so what we wanted is to replicate the, you know, the camera moving around, going from one phone to the other. That is, this field is called three viewpoint video. And, uh, what, and in what order, is it, sorry, of course, what is it called again? It's called free viewpoint video. Three, so that's uh, kind of, yeah, like the, yeah, it's like a video where you have a free point of view. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so th this field was starting to, uh, it was it was not a new field, but there was a lot of activity there because uh, also there's been a lot of developments in image processing, computer vision, 3D reconstruction. And in order for us to be able to fake, you know, the camera movement from one phone to the other, we needed to understand a little bit more about the 3D uh, underlying scenes, right? So the 3D model that was in the background, the 3D model that was the person that we were reconstructing. So we could uh, use that 3D model to help us when faking making the, the image or the, the camera movement. And um, so we ended up developing a 3D reconstruction method that would work with just a few cameras. And in this case, as I was saying, it was just, I think it was five or six phones, the, the very first test that we did. 
Um, so that 3D reconstruction method was pretty robust, given the fact that it was it was doing it in with extreme conditions, outdoors, as I was saying, handheld devices, not fully synchronized devices. So it was it was a pain, really. <laughs> so we 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 saw that that reconstruction method that we we had done could maybe work in more professional environments. So we put together a bunch of cameras this time, uh, static cameras, not a. Uh, not phones and and we we put together like a little studio with uh, 12 cameras only and started doing 3d reconstruction of dynamic sequences uh, just with those 12 cameras and at that time um so there was one company called 8i who was commercializing this type of things but they were using i think it was around around 60 cameras or something like that so it was already six almost six more times more cameras than what we were using and the gold standard was microsoft who had a a research lab do also doing this thing and they had just started commercializing the technology so also licensing the tech for so other studios could do volumetric video which was the, the the you know the term that was started to being coined in the in the industry which is at the end of the day a sequence of 3d models that you play one after the other it's kind of an equivalent to video but in the 3d space in the in the let's say <laughs> immersive space or or in a game engine space and uh, so we said, okay, if Microsoft is doing it with 106 cameras and AI is doing it with uh, 60, and we are able to do it with 12, uh, I think we have something here that maybe we can we can start considering maybe spinning out. We were getting interest from um, from other universities to collaboration and already some potential clients. So we we did a we started considering maybe spinning out. Um, so the first thing that we did is is that we we did a market research study. Um, that is something that um, it is pretty important because you, if, when you are, you know, a researcher or a scientist, you are very deep into one specific topic, and you can be blind towards, you know, what the industry needs and what the industry wants, and you're developing something that looks very cool, but it might, it might not have any industrial applications. Um, but after doing the uh, market research study, we realized that specifically Ireland had a pretty pretty rich ecosystem of immersive technologies that were looking for new ways of creating content. And this, this type of content was perfect for virtual and augmented reality. It was also working for visual effects, then it was working for games and stuff like that. But VR and AR were especially good because if you wanted to have uh, um, a scene in VR, you know, at six degrees of freedom, so you can walk around and stuff like that, there was no easy way of recording a person. Um, you could have an avatar or you could have a 3D scan of a single model that then is animated or something like that, but it still didn't feel realistic. While doing it with volumetric video, it looked really, really realistic, even when the resolution was low. Um, so yeah, and that was kind of the, the decision that we took at some point that, okay, let's give it a try. And, and that was the origin of, of the company. So the three founders were the, the three guys that were working together building this technology. We were four initially, but one of them got tempted by, <laughs> by the industry mm -hmm. uh, who paid a lot more. So <laughs> only three of us uh, started the company officially. And uh, the professor who founded the lab, he was also, he is also officially one of our founders. That's really cool, man. I like how it started uh, when you asked me if I um, know the scene of the Matrix. I'm I'm wondering now, <laughs> how how did the Matrix? How did the, the movie do it? Was it like only at the time? Was it VFX? Um, yeah, it, it's it's basically a VFX. So and and for the movie, when you're doing it in the movie, the important thing is at the end you're able to record a video, whatever mm -hmm. content that you're doing, right? So in the Matrix, they have a lot of 3D models, and they were 
pioneers in, in some of the visual effects on the CGI mm-hmm. applied to the in the movie. Uh, so this bullet time, it was not a new thing. It had do- it had been done before, but uh, but it was probably the first one that it was done uh, the first time that it was done in such a scale and for uh, such a huge movie, right? Uh, so yeah, as I was saying, they are basically imagine. Uh, so Keanu Reeves was in the center, um, and then there was a circle, a ring of cameras, hundred cameras, I think it was, and then they are all recording at the same time. And at some point, if you remember, it was a static frame, so they just mm-hmm. froze time, right? And maybe then the when the time was, was frozen, uh, in, maybe the, maybe yeah, the instead of moving a camera. Yeah, so instead of moving the camera around, Keanu, what they were doing is recording with all the cameras at the same time. So then you can fake like the camera was moving by going from one camera to the other so that was uh the way they had done it um so that that's kind of a brute force way of doing it right so mm-hmm. well the, the way we wanted to do it was to fake the movement of the camera but cameras that were very far from each other so you could not really you could not use a hundred phones <laughs> you know in the street or something like that so uh, that's why we needed to do some 3d reconstruction in the middle yeah so um so coming to back to your company, how um, do, do do you program the whole thing, or is it is it an application? What what is it exactly like the the, the end product? Yeah, so the what we have is a is basically a, a, right now it's a platform. So when it started, mm-hmm. it was uh, we started being almost like a service company, right? So you would uh, we would uh, take the clients directly to the studio, record them with the twelve cameras, then we would take the videos, put them through our pipeline. And they get the models, help them with the integration. We used to do everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was when we were started. And then when we were learning a little bit more about what the clients needed, uh, we realized that the problem for them was um, the, the the processing part. So you know the 3D reconstruction part, because um, um, yeah, most of our clients could uh, could do themselves the capture if they had the studio, um, and uh, and they were probably even better because they were used to doing productions. You, you cannot imagine one of the first projects that we did. Um, so we brought all the actors and everything, and suddenly they were asking us, "Oh, okay, where is the you know the changing room?" And it was, okay, "There's a bathroom there. <laughs> Let's go to the bathroom." You know, <laughs> or uh, or some some of the big productions they were expecting that we would take care of catering makeup mm. and things like that and and yeah i mean we, we externalized it and it worked but uh but that was not what we wanted to focus on we wanted yeah, to yeah, focus yeah. on the 3d reconstruction part so we said okay there's people doing this part a lot better than we are uh, we don't want to become a recording studio what we want is to become a software company so mm-hmm. we did all the all the reconstruction software so it's it's our own technology uh that we it, it's uh, most of it is based on what we had previously developed uh, in the university uh, but when we span out, we took it to the next level and made it a professional product. So right now, it's a it's a cloud processing pipeline. So this means that you upload the videos to a, a cloud platform, and everything runs directly on the cloud. So this means that you can have all the content pretty fast, and and we can do it in a scalable way. So we can do many projects at the same time. Well, sometimes um, some of our competitors, some of the studios that are out there, might take one project a month or a couple of projects mm-hmm. a month because it takes some time and it takes some effort you know to put everything together yeah so so you say uh, cloud processing pipeline what um, let's say yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a client and i want to you know i want to use your uh, software what, what do i upload yeah so if, if you decided to to set up your own volumetric capture studio and start mm-hmm. doing uh, uh your own captures uh we will help you first uh well 
in some cases you will you maybe already have your hardware so you already have the cameras or whatever it's needed so that for, in that case it, there's nothing needed there otherwise we would recommend you depending on what type of content you want to record what type of setup you, you would need to acquire or to set up but you would be owning that setup yourself and you can change it and do whatever you want it uh, then we will teach you how to how to do the calibration, which is basically identifying where the cameras are located in space, um, because that's very important for the 3D reconstruction. That's also an automated process that we can do. We can help you do. And then afterwards, when you do the capture, the only thing that you have to upload is the videos recorded from each of the cameras, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So you, you can have it in a synchronized setup where all the cameras are, you know, wired and then maybe you have a computer that is gathering all the videos. That would be the most convenient way of doing it. Or if you mm -hmm. don't have that, that setup, what you can have is just all the SD cards from the cameras, dump all the videos to your computer and then you upload them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, from that, uh, from those videos uh, captured, um, we, yeah, we, we get, for instance, a 3D animation which is a vi uh, what do you said you said three point of a volumetric point video. video yeah yeah volumetric video yeah exactly yeah so what, what you get at the end is uh it's a a volumetric video sequence mm -hmm. that it's that's encoded cool. so you can put it in that's really uh, unity cool. or in unreal mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i saw this uh, man this is amazing i saw uh balenciaga website that they had a game and um and i run it at the time because now it's not available anymore sorry for the people that didn't <laughs> Played, but it was amazing. I can tell you that. And um, a friend of mine, Mark, he worked on it. Um, he's coming to the podcast very soon as well. He's an Unreal Engine uh, wizard, and uh, so he worked on it. And he said, "Yeah, what did you play this game?" I said, "Yeah, I, I don't play games." But he said, "Like, I, th I think this is you need to check this out." So I opened the website. I go to the to Balenciaga's website. It's a game. It's called Afterworld. Afterworld. Um, and then. It was a, their collection represented in 3D, and I thought it was an it was a video like a like a, like as we you know used to do it before, hacking uh, the video by pointing the the 2D plane to the camera. But I'm rendering on my phone first of all, like because it was rendering on the clouds, and then um, basically streaming the the, the video uh, on my phone but I see this 3D model and it was real it was a capture it was but it was a 3D model so I didn't understand completely and that's when uh, I reach out to you and I uh, um, it's 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 an amazing technology because we don't have to render anymore uh, how, how so let's say uh, a studio uh, or my friend Mark gets the, the files uh, let's say this point cloud files uh, 3D files is it like a, a sequence from uh, from A to Z, where or from zero to three sixty uh, frames, uh, and that he loads it in a certain Unreal, as you said, uh, a certain software like Unreal, and then the the animation plays. Uh, is this like how simple it is? Yeah, it, it's pretty simple. So the um, the way, by the way, the the Valentia game was great. Uh, not only because uh, it was all rendering on the cloud, as you were saying, but it was because there was a huge um, amount of models reconstructed there yeah. uh, using volumetric video, uh, which was it was a really good example of how you could apply this technology to retail. So uh, kudos to the the team in Dimension who did it, which is it's pretty good. Um, but yeah, that, that, that is pretty simple. So the, um, uh, typically the way you, you would load a 3D model into Unity or into Unreal is just you just drag it in and that's it. If you're using a, one of the standard 
um, one of the standard formats. In our case, this it's a little bit more complex because it's not a standard format because there's no standard really for volumetric video. So what you have is a, is a file that is compressed that includes the whole sequence, right? But you, you typically have a plugin that uh, allows you to read that that file oh. that it's uh, uh it's very easy to install and it's for free you can i think we right now we're still in the uh, latest versions of la latest moments of developing our unreal one but uh it's already working mm -hmm. uh, but you can download for instance the unity one uh, from our website and then you install that very quickly and then you just drag uh, the file into the plugin and it will show up in your game engine as any other asset and what is, uh, what is your website so I can uh, link that also in the Volograms. show notes. It's volograms.com. Okay, cool. I will link that in the show notes as well. Yeah, so, so it's as simple as that. So you, you will see the, the, the model over there as if it was a static 3D model, but it's, a, it's playable content. So whenever you have a played action, um, it will just start reproducing itself. So it's, it's very, very easy. Mm -hmm. That's amazing, man, because I remember uh, 10 years ago when I was <laughs> working on, with After Effects, I don't know if you're familiar with that, obviously you are, but um, so we, you know, we would uh, load a sequence of images that we rendered in 3D in After Effects as a sequence, but now it's not only 2D, it's 3D. What do you think that the future will, will bring us uh, soon? Yeah, and um, I'm pretty optimistic regarding the volumetric video space because it's, uh, um, I know that we were talking about this know vector polyometric video um, some people call it holograms directly I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of calling them holograms i prefer <laughs> calling them holograms maybe <laughs> but um i understand but we've seen them we've, we've seen plenty of applications of these in the movies right so um if you remember star wars when there's mm -hmm. the little hologram of princess leia uh, saying help me obi-wan kenobi so we <laughs> we're sometimes focused about the way to display that right how do you show a hologram in space so you can see it in front of you that's of course the let's say the hardware part but there's also a part where how do you record that <laughs> right mm -hmm. in the movies there is r2d2 that is some, using some kind of a depth sensor is capturing the princess but what we're doing is basically that we're doing the capturing part and um and there's new technologies and uh, um, and i think the companies in the space we're all trying to make this thing as accessible as possible and as simple as possible so there's more creators starting to put uh, uh more effort and 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 their brains into to building more storytelling applications and, and 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 some other experiences that people can really relate to um the good thing is that um, this really, it looks very realistic. It looks like it's yeah. a, a real human, a real actor. So you don't have to do the animation. You don't have to do the tweaking or anything like that. So um, I think it has a massive potential. It is true that they, we're still in the early stage of the field. So uh, still sometimes a little bit complex. Uh, if you Sometimes it might be, uh, you know, the expectations that we have out of it. Uh, but I think that in the future, we're going to see volumetric video all over the place. And now you've seen also the new devices like the, the new iPhone, which has a depth sensor in the back, uh, which is going to enable um, new companies and new, uh, and new products based on th those type of sensors. And those sensors will be integrated into the glasses and the headsets of the future, which means that all this technology will be able to run directly on a headset. Um, so we're, we're seeing like there's so many new things that are going to happen within the next few years and also with the development, the development of the new deep learning and um, artificial intelligence methods, right, that are able mm -hmm. to um, 
give us more information about the world. So I, I honestly think that this is just started, the starting. Um, there's a huge, uh, a huge uh, future, a massive future, I would say, uh, on a lot of potential um, that we will see, we'll any, see um, within the next few years. Do you see any relation to uh, different medias, different realities, such as virtual or augmented? Well, I see that there. Are, <laughs> I, I, almost everybody always packs them together. Um, I'm not the biggest fan either of the term XR, as some people are saying, because um, I think that VR and AR, even though they are built on top of the same type of technologies, they're very different uh, from each other. So, um, in one, you have to build a whole world because you're fully immersed, and, and in the other one, it's just the opposite. Um, you have to understand uh, what it's around you, uh, mm -hmm. and I think that uh, they are very, very different and should not be grouped together. So, uh, I see a lot of potential in both, uh, but more in AR because I think AR could become the next uh, computing platform, right? Something that really replaces your phone or your laptop or, or something like that, something that you wear all day uh, because sometimes you want extra information about your world the same way you're wearing, you know, a smartwatch or something like that. Well, I see VR as mostly as a entertainment platform, which could be huge, you know, um, video game consoles are huge and a massive market, uh, but it's not something that you use maybe on a daily basis or, or that you use um, 10 hours a day unless you are a professional gamer. <laughs> yeah. So um, there, right now the present for VR, I think it's uh, a branch is in the industrial applications, training and stuff like that has proven to be incredibly useful. And then the other one is it's entertainment, so games and, and mm -hmm. experiences. That's but a good for point. AR, uh, yeah, I think for AR, the future is just almost any application. Work, fun, uh, everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, buying, consuming. Yeah, totally. I mean, imagine something that you would just wear all the time. Uh, <laughs> same way you're wearing your, your watch and you're getting your notifications or the same way you're, you're, you have your phone next to you all day because this, does, this just don't go to the computer for everything. Yeah, I think screens, uh, like TV screens and any screens, they need to stop paying attention because uh, they might get uh, bankrupt in the future. Yeah, totally. The good thing for them is that some of them are also developing the lenses yeah. that are going to go into these glasses. So Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, happened, it happened to uh, Kodak uh, when the iPhone came out, like in the same year, Kodak was uh, bankrupt. It was not a, it was a surprise, but it was, it was predicted. Um, iPhone came out yeah, Kodak long, long so. announced that <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly because uh, yeah together with Instagram you know you can the best camera is the one that you have in your hands right so the iPhone was always in your hands and the camera yeah Kodak with this old you know this <laughs> this folding thing you had to do to go to the dark room yeah exactly that was a whole process but um, but now because that's why I wanted to go with you through the process to see how much of a, uh, a relation does that have with this and, and it has a lot hey uh we are coming to the end of uh, the episode i would love to ask you some questions uh they are you know daily usual silly questions <laughs> um what is the first thing that you do when you wake up uh i normally check my phone <laughs> i'm not <laughs> I, I wish i could say i'm one of these people who <laughs> leave the phone out of the room or something like that but i just i just can't i'm, I'm a very slow uh waking up and uh the phone helps me you know open my eyes little by little but yeah I, the, the thing is that i typically don't don't go on on social media what i do is just check the news and stuff like that yeah do you uh do you still um practice your uh, spanish uh, rituals uh, siesta 
<laughs> you know, uh, you're not gonna believe it, but I was never a siesta sleeper. Ah, um, okay. I think we have there's more fame with that than reality. Uh, but it's true that some people to have a nap or a siesta during the weekends, and I never did that. I remember my parents, you know, when they were angry at me, they would ground me to sleep siesta, and I was so mm -hmm. pissed because <laughs> I couldn't. I mean, um, uh, I don't know. I always liked that time because everybody was, everything was quiet, and, I, and they would just leave me alone. So uh, now I don't, I don't sleep siesta. I've never done it, so um, uh, I don't need it. So, but I mean, like Ireland is a different place than Spain. Huh? Like I mean, I, I also lived in uh, in tropical places, and sometimes I do need to regenerate some energy, man. Like it's so hot over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I get I get what some why some people do it, but I think that uh, there's a lot more, uh, you know, like an urban legend that the Spanish people yeah, are exactly. taking siestas on a daily basis. Um, I don't I don't know how you can take a siesta when you're working, you know, nine to seven or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. definitely don't take naps at work. <laughs> no, no, for sure not. Um, hot or cold? I prefer hot a thousand times. Uh, I know that a lot of people say, yeah, but when you're cold, you just put more, more you know, clothes on and that's fixed. No, if you're really cold, you cannot move your, your fingers. You cannot even type. Um, I, that's also probably because I come from a very warm area. So yeah, I'm used to, you know, warm, hot. So I, I prefer to be in shorts and, and sweating than frozen. <laughs> yeah, I, when I came to Amsterdam, like, uh, what is it now, 12 years ago? I uh, I saw this um, this mom with her child in the morning in Amsterdam. It was cold, and the child was just you know basically laughing on the. Uh, they were both. I mean, she was biking with the, with the, with the child. So, and it was freezing. I was like, okay, so how how is this possible? But they they are getting used to that, you know, since day one. So for yeah. us, because I'm I'm on your side, <laughs> um, I'm also uh, I like hot um, weather, but um, they just get used to it. In big, I think it's a good skill to have as well, you know, like to get used to both uh, sides. How is how how are you coping yeah. with Ireland then? Uh, well, Ireland is not that bad in terms of cold, uh, so it, it never gets very cold because it's an island which uh, I live in Dublin, which is right next to the, the sea and we have also a river, uh, so it's never very cold. Um, I used to live in Madrid and Madrid gets cold in the winter, so uh, it can, and here it doesn't get colder than Madrid. The problem is that it doesn't get hot either. <laughs> so, the whole year is more or less in the same the same range of temperatures from you know five degrees to something like twenty and that's mm. it. And yeah, I'm yeah. used to going from minus five to forty. <laughs> uh, so um, I, I think the the summer is the tough thing here because there's never a, re a proper summer. You know, there's mm. never the time where you spend one month wearing shorts and and sunglasses uh, because it rains a lot. So it's it's pretty you know gray. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's the, the worst part of it. But it's uh, the cold, it's fine. When I was living in Denmark, that was cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that was like minus 15 degrees and oh uh, one meter of snow oh, all no, the time. Give me a break, man. <laughs> I can't do that. Minus, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, if you, okay, this is close to your beginning. If you could make or remake any movie and start in it, what would that be? Ooh, I don't know. Starring a movie, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm um, I'm a huge fan of um, David Fincher. That's my my favorite oh, nice. director. Um, so I would like uh, 
I don't know. I would like uh, maybe to participate in the Fight Club or Seven, oh, yeah. one of those.、Uh, although I'm also a big fan of the, the movie of the Social Network, even though it's a completely different movie. I like how it's、uh, narrated, the rhythm of the movie, and、uh, and how it's everything around like you know three, let's say trials. Although the movie is not that accurate,、uh, you know, with respect to the real world, I think it's a really good exercise of、uh, narrative. So I, I wish that at some point in the future、uh, we get so popular that David Fincher decides to do a movie about holograms.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How how、um, how close are you to to movies actually? Like, because because I can hear that you get inspired from them. Yeah, totally, and and you know that the, the field where we are, it's、uh, it's it's very close to the、mm-hmm. to the movie industry.、Uh, there's one area specifically that I'm passionate about. It's called virtual production.、Um, mm. It's fairly new. I mean, there, there's always been different versions of this, but it's got incredibly popular lately with, especially with the Mandalorian, which is that instead of recording stuff in front of a green screen,、uh, which is the traditional way you do it in, in Hollywood or in the movies, what you do is that you record in front of a massive LED panel. Yeah. And you can program that LED panel,、uh, and then it looks like it's a it's the background, and then all the all the colors and everything that you have in the background reflect, reflect accurately in the you know I don't know if you've seen the Mandalorian, but、uh, Mandalorian post production, incredibly, exactly. So the post production make is very simple compared to having it with a green screen, and、uh, it allows for so many more things. And the good thing is that everything that is seen in the, in this、um, LED screen is a, has to be a 3D environment because it has to react to the camera movement.、Um, so we've been sometimes talking with、uh, that's one of the reasons why we decided to go and, and implement an Unreal plugin because、um, some clients were thinking about adding volumetric video for for that virtual production stuff. So I think that the movie industry is is、um, shifting towards doing a lot more stuff with game engines. And game engines are getting so good that they are being used in movie productions nowadays.、Mm-hmm. And and we are in the world of the game engines、uh, a little bit more. So the we are also getting closer to the movie industry, which is to me is exciting because I I'm, I always like watching movies and especially movies with a lot of、uh, visual effects and stuff like that. Yeah, I、um, I've seen how. The making of、uh, Lion King. I mean, I haven't really. I didn't really grow up with that.、Uh, I grew up more with, you know, Avatar or or the Matrix. But Lion King, the、uh, 3D,、uh, the 3D was really interesting. But the process of making the movie was also very interesting. The how they captured, you know, realities and brought them back,、um, and made, you know, a whole, yeah, environment out of it, which is. I yeah, I think that, that jump. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, John Favreau, who is the director both of the Mandalorian and in,、mm-hmm. the, in the Lion King, he's a huge innovator. And、uh, what he was doing in the Lion King is that he was using VR、uh, to help with the with the,、um, I would say like cinematography, right? So it's like put the headset on and say, "This is the I don't know the environment that we're gonna have," and he would just point somewhere and say, "Give me more trees there, or give me." A different sky color there because it would almost look like a rendering of how the movie would look at the end. Instead of looking at it in the, sk- in the screen, he could say, "Okay, this is the view that I want, or this is the moment where I want, where he's just moving his head around, completely immersed in what would be a virtual world that at the end is going to be rendered into the movie."、Uh, I think that was that was great. I mean, I got to see him、uh, speaking last time,、nice. last Seagraph, last last Seagraph in person. How did you how did <laughs> so, you、uh, how did you come in Seagraph? Oh, so Seagraph is a it's a it's a huge、um, conference, and、mm-hmm. and of course it's pretty big. Also, for, I mean, for us on on a industrial level, it's great. 
um, but also for me and also for my other two co-founders, it was pretty big for the you know scientific version because it has a, a pretty strong scientific uh, uh, track of uh, you know technical papers. And, and when you get published in SIGGRAPH, you're basically your career as a researcher changes, right? So mm -hmm. for us, it was always great. So I've been going to SIGGRAPH for four or five years in a row, uh, including last year, which was virtual. But two years ago, we, it was, we were in LA, we had a little booth of holograms over there and uh, we got invited to the Unreal event. And then they had John Favreau there speaking and explaining how they had done some stuff from the Lion King. Um, and it was amazing, you know, uh, this guy who has so many new ideas and and, mm -hmm. and and then Unreal who were like doubling down and getting uh, more and more into movies and not that much into games and with everything that has been changing. So, um, but yeah, Sigraph for us will, will always be there. We will always try to have some presence somehow, even if it's just <laughs> by going there and, and, you know, meeting the, the people in the industry. Mm -hmm. I tried, I mean, you probably went with your company uh, name. Yeah, so the yeah, exactly. I think the, the first couple, the first few times, uh, I, I've been going also with well, when I was a researcher. But last three years, it was Alvolgrams already. Yeah, it's good that they select people because um, you're not allowed just to go there. You just buy a ticket, right? Like you can, you need to have. Oh yeah, I think you can. You can. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's it's expensive. That's the only thing. Okay. Uh, by, <laughs> I, by the, I think that's that's what I remember. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to see everything, it's a pretty big conference. So if you want to yeah. see everything, it's expensive, but if you want to just see the exhibition where all the companies are and some of the session in the exhibition area which of course is not everything it's just one part that's relatively cheap and if you know anyone in the who is exhibiting like for instance us a couple of years ago i could have invited you so mm -hmm. that would have been free but you would only have been able to to see the exhibition area and not mm -hmm. the sessions with the movie movie product uh, producers or the the, how did they make the this movie or how did they make this special effect for this specific session or for this specific game and of course you wouldn't have been able to see the the papers the technical papers so if you want to see everything it could cost like around i don't know a thousand dollars or something like that mm -hmm. but uh the exhibition area it's typically free or very cheap mm -hmm. yeah there was one here in amsterdam it's a uh... Ray, it's at the Ray here, and I'm, it's it's really interesting. But I mean, Sigraf is the holy ground, right? Like it's just amazing. Yeah, I think it's, it's isn't it IVC the one that is typically yep, in uh, that's the one. in Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah, we were we were gonna go one year, but I don't know what happened, and we ended up not going. And then last year, I I I, I went, but only virtually, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been to, I've been there also with my company like for the last two years. And uh, but it's it's really it's just it's nice to be surrounded by like-minded people. You just get inspired just by being there, right? Yeah, totally. And yeah. then also all the networking that you can do in these uh, all the people that you get to know. That's yeah. why virtual events uh, are struggling because you that uh, you know that uh, social part is very difficult to replicate in in a virtual environment. Yeah, yeah. I think. Um, do you watch uh, sports? Yeah, I'm a yeah. big Real Madrid fan. Okay. Yeah, there is a sport. It's relatively new. It's called MMA, mixed martial arts. And um, yes, of course, they have yeah. uh, the the Irish guy, the Conor yeah. McGregor. He's yes. a <laughs> celebrity here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they uh, made um, like Corona was not a not an issue at all. They, I think. Um, I mean, first of all, they have a lot of money to hire like a whole island for for themselves. Hmm. And uh, and that's where they did the whole thing. So so that's those kind of ideas are coming up. Like just getting like an island where it's very secured from Corona, and yeah. uh, doing the whole festival in there for five. What is it like? I think five weeks, five fights. Yeah, and 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 they have like a like 
people there they have um, just just a normal life basically yeah remember so, also the mba bubble worked pretty well mm-hmm. they did nothing in the, in the disney uh, resorts in la and i think it worked pretty well yeah um, those are great ideas because it's both things right like it's always a great vacation <laughs> an island and uh second like the whole yeah you are coming back to reality you know like the way we were networking and stuff like that if if, if uh, i'm gonna continue with the with the questions <laughs> of course yeah if you could have a superpower what would that be uh i would like to fly yeah <laughs> to uh, the island <laughs> yeah no um I don't know. That's probably a, a, an answer that I didn't think too much. I'm sure there's something that it's better, <laughs> like reading minds or something like that. Uh, yeah. But uh, no, I actually always thought that uh, I'm flying. It's such an amazing experience. Uh, you know, when you see when you're in a in a plane, it sometimes I don't know feels like magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people in in the podcast uh, say that like flying, um, it's, it's it comes up all the time. It's, I think, because gravity is in our way, so we always get gravitated to you know to the to the so the opposite. We always want to. I don't know what it is, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Rafael, so thank thank you so much for uh, for this episode. I I learned so much like from from just like. 30 minutes with you like and i wish i could you know talk to you more and um and, uh, thank you for for everything i really appreciate that thanks so much i really enjoyed the conversation uh, you had a very interesting questions and uh, i always enjoy getting into the technical details so thanks so much for having me yes 100 for the listeners i will note all the show notes in the on the link and also um rafael's company and everything so um, we uh, we stay in touch thanks so much cheers bye Thank you.